Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 361st episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your scholar host, Mason, joined by my aspiring historian co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? Um, I think you would have pegged that. I'm, I am an aspiring historian, so I'm doing great now that I know that I my, my co-host sees me like that. They know I, what I want to do. I know that you have a, a deep knowledge and one of, a craving to learn a lot about historic and the history of magic and that sort of thing. We're here to do that today. I love lore, just in general, of things. Lore yeah. is good. You're big Vorthos? Um, yeah, I like to... I always put it to people where it's like, how much do you know about like the story of magic? Like, I like to like watch... I watch this one guy's like TikToks about the lore. <laughs> he like does like thumb ups or he does little animations. Um, uh, my hands are blank on TikTok. If you want to check those out, he does a lot of like funny like community TikToks. I think I've showed them to you before. Yeah, I remember um, them when you said it. I was like, oh yeah, this guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy's awesome. Um, but like, it was always just like a car ride thing where like you'd get so deep into like driving to an open that you'd be like, what is going on on such and such story piece card? And then someone in the car either pieces, either knows it or you all try to like piece it together. It's a real fun thing to just know the lore and, and you never know what's going to come up. Yeah, I, I like it when like there's always someone who's like, what is Dana Soul Keeper? Like, what is that? And it's just like a one through. What is this thing? And you're like, actually, she's a student in the Wither Bloom and this is how she's important. <laughs> it's always nice to kind of it out there and they're like really that's all going on i'm like yeah i kind of i was half listening i was driving to work because of youtube video <laughs> like I, I think that's right yeah. you don't know better <laughs> you go watch the I, video not about Strixhaven. i haven't i haven't checked in but i believe you yeah i don't know she's definitely a student that's all i know she's she's in a bunch of learning cards you know so she's she's yeah. learning i know the the, el- the what's it quintorius the the elephant mm-hmm. i know i know his story pretty well and that's dictated on like three of the cards too it's pretty awesome yeah yeah it's cool we can tell that stuff but today we are going to be talking about the historic format Strixhaven has come and unleashed a bunch of powerful cards into that but first we have to do the always improving part of the show really is our goal to try to get better at magic and i'll take the lead here a but my always improving moment was kind of quickly adapting uh and just trying a lot of things so I've played a lot of Historic uh, in this last week. I was telling you before the show, I think I've played about 40 hours since Thursday. We're recording this Monday night of Historic. So I've put in a full-time job worth of Historic in the five days leading up to this. And I have tried and played a lot of things. And I've quickly changed and adapted things. And normally, uh, I'm pretty good at quickly changing and adapting. But sometimes I'll kind of be like, no, I know this thing is good. I don't need to actually change it. Like I can kind of see how this game's going to play on my head. But for this, I actually took the time to be like, no, I will actually change it. And like, maybe I'm wrong. There's so many new things injected in this format. And it was just good to kind of quickly change and adapt to things and stuff like that. And like, one of the things was like, oh, I heard Jerry Thompson say, maybe Clean the Dust is good enough to play main deck now. And I was like, oh, that makes a bit of sense. It might actually be good enough, at least as a one of, let's try. I ended up like putting three of those in my Rector's Arcanist deck. And it completely changed the game for me. It actually made it made me feel like it's one of the best decks in the format now. So just little things like that, uh, just kind of quickly adapting and changing the metagame was my always improving moment. What about you? Uh, my, my always improving came from just like taking the time playing limited. Uh, I, I'm a huge drafter. I'm like a limited guy. Got probably more hours in boost to draft than any other format. And... Uh, just playing with the new cards and like taking the time to think about how they'll link together and like 
how to evaluate certain cards in draft and like what my strategy is for all the archetypes and spending time just really breaking it down makes me really familiar with the set in a way that I wouldn't really be otherwise. And, uh, I don't know. I was, I was winning a lot like on release day and the day after, I think I was like, like two, seven wins, like a six win, a seven win, like just crushing all the draft things. And now people have caught up a bit. And so I need to like go back to the drawing board, but really just grappling with the limited format and how the new cards are playing, especially with, such complex cards and such weird things to evaluate. Like in Caldime, it was kind of like, oh, we kind of know how like Snowland drafting works and like how good are Fertel cards and, and what's up with that. But in this, like how good is a lesson? How good is a learn card? Like are all of them playable or not all of them playable? Should I just be jamming all of them? How do all these archetypes work? There's a ton of like different options of different cards. And just like thinking about that and working on that puzzle uh, has been really good. Yeah, the, yeah, this format's been really interesting. It's it's crazy to see like a lot so many eight mana cards being played in limited. I mean, I, I I just remember like listening to LR episodes back in the day. And, like, do you know how much eight mana is? Like, they kind of like hit it home. They're like, think about how long it takes you to get eight lands. Like, bears are pretty good at killing you in that time. And I play this format and just like I'm like I got like twelve mana. What do I do this turn? <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah, like the wild. I'm format. at the point where in some of my decks, I'm like, man, I really just like wish I had a seven drop. Is there a seven drop I can get? Like maybe one of these, like uh, ideally, like the deal five. Look at the top five and put one in my hand, or like the uh, the make two four fours. Like, can I get one of those? I just really think my deck needs a seven drop to be good, like to be like really good. And that's just kind of wild to me that I'm sitting here like, yeah, I need a I need about a hundred mana thing to do on turn ten so that I can like win the game. That's yeah. just not some something I've ever really encountered in limited formats before. Yeah, the total mana in my deck doesn't equal close to triple digits. My deck's probably a C. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just not that good. Yeah, those are rookie numbers, man. Those you have so many more. You gotta count all your lessons too in that, right? Like you oh, have yeah, the X spell lesson. You're like, well, I'm not casting. I'm not making XX fractal that's you know smaller than five because otherwise I'd just go get the four four out of my sideboard and like, yeah, yeah, it's wild. It's a it's a weird weird format. But yeah, uh, those are two great Always Improving Moments. And if you want to support the show, you can do that in a couple ways. The first and most exciting one is go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. You become a patron of the show. One of the benefits of becoming a patron of the show is you get to ask questions like this one, which is, with such drastic changes coming to Historic, how do you keep up with the new tech hitting the format, and what steps can you take to make a good deck choice when it comes to rapidly moving metagames? So, Abe, what are some of your first thoughts about this one? Um, this is a really good question. It's kind of hard to, to tackle, but it's, it's something that's really good to know for any format is, like, there's a bunch of things happening, a bunch of new cards introduced to the environment. Um, you know, just try to figure out the common threads going on in, like, the the format that's that you're seeing in front of you, like... For example, what you were saying about Cling to Dust and you're always improving is like, you know, a lot of these decks, if, if they're playing turns or trying to like go off with Tamiyo, you can get them pretty good by Cling to Dusting like a Time Warp if they target it. Uh, and against Phoenix, obviously like being able to exile, exile the Phoenixes is good or picking off a Spare Faithless looting. Um, just like a lot of... F finding those ways to like get a good angle on what you're playing against is most likely what I'd say the best thing to do is like, like when you have a good idea then of, or you can't have a good idea of what 
all of the things you're going to play against are because there's so many possibilities. Just keep your eye on like the common things going on in the games you're playing because if you can interact well with something across multiple decks that you're playing that are all new, if you can find like a good angle of attack for all of them, then suddenly you're like attacking the metagame, right? Like it, no one knows what the metagame is because there's not really results yet. But if you ha see a bunch of different things happening on ladder, a bunch of the same thing happening on ladder, and then you find a creative way to beat that, then like now they have to respond to you. And that's, uh, that's really the best you can ask for. Yeah, I really liked what you said there about we don't really know the metagame. I really wanted to harp on that point. When the format just starts, like right now, like like Historic is basically a new format. We're, we're seeing very little of the old guard when it comes to decks. I, I think it's very good to lean into a sideboard that kind of does the thing your deck's trying to do. So, for example, if you're playing like the Rakdos Pyromancer-type decks or any sort of mid-range deck, I might try to have a sideboard that has some really wide and versatile cards. You know, I think a good example of this, it's probably a staple always, is something like a Braid. A card I've really been championing recently is Chaos Warp. I think Chaos Warp is a great addition for these decks as a way to answer, you know, Cage or Rest in Peace or the Planeswalker that's causing you problems. Whatever card could be a versatile thing, this is a versatile answer. And your deck kind of tries to lean into that. That being said, if it's the opposite and your deck's very linear, linear I would try to lean into that. So when I played Blue-Green Turns and I, like, played it a bunch the first two days and got Mythic with it, I had a sideboard that was only Hammers. I had no versatile cards because I wasn't trying to do that sort of thing because I don't know the metagame. It's really hard to know what's going on, especially in those early, early days. Things are changing rapidly, so shiftedly. So try to have an extreme of a poll. And if your extreme is something like Rogue that has a lot of different answers, have a lot of different type of answer cards you can play to and make it hard on them in that way. But I really, in these early formats, when things are shifting so rapidly, I don't like building a deck in the conventional good way. Like, I think later in a format, you would try to have those more versatile cards or answers, and you'd pick your battles where you want to pick them and have extremes. So I think at the beginning, you should lean in almost like you're a caricature of what your deck is. And so that's one of my big pieces of advice for that. Yeah, it's always like, in the beginning, it's about just making sure your deck is consistently presenting its, like, plan A as best as possible, because that's, like... That's like just what the game is about. You don't really know what you're going to play against, so the best thing you can have going for you is that your deck is functioning and doing its thing. So, like, Phoenix is a pretty good example of, like, yeah, I just want to make sure my deck has enough spells to, like, be putting Phoenixes into play and then some other threat that isn't Phoenix to, like, tie things together. And we'll figure out the math on, like, what is the right number of those cantrips and what's the right number of those threats and what is the correct other threat to be playing. Because first, I need to see that, like putting our play phoenixes into play is really good. Or like with the sacrifice deck, it's like, if I'm going to try to take people down, like I'm going to play a bunch of thought seasons and inquisitions because those are like my best cards. And I'm going to like see if people can avoid being picked apart by this. Yeah. And Just stuff this, like that. And the same thing for standard too, you know, like if I was playing a red deck, I would try to lean in to like, not not like having versatile plants to grind with like Ox of Agonis unless there's a bunch of rogues or something going around, right? I would try to be like, no, I'm playing the things that smash you really quickly are efficient answers to the common answers and just push on through uh, instead of trying to have an adaptable game plan. So I, Yeah, I'm not getting cute and cutting any copies of Embercleave or anything. That's yeah. like, hmm. it's not where you want to be. Cardinal Sin, four Embercleaves in this house. Four Embercleaves. Always. Four Embercleaves, four Meyer Tritons. If you're gonna play, if you're gonna play some, do you're not play all. get me started on four Meyer Tritons again. <laughs> I will not discuss having less than four Meyer Tritons in my deck. If I'm playing Meyer Trident, I'm playing four of it. I'm not playing three. I'm not playing two. And heaven forbid, I play one Meyer Trident. 
just not happening. It's so, just you won't you won't see me do it. I'd rather lose so, wrong than have four minor turns. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I set you off on this. No, it, you're good. it really is pretty egregious. I, I remember listening to that episode and being like, Mason's so right. <laughs> but I do want to give a shout out to uh, another amazing patron question that we got. Mason, can I do that? Of course, of course. A little bonus, double up. We got we got a question from West said, which says, what sound effect does a Mizzix mastery make? And I thought this was both pressing and important. And I think that the people need to know, Mason, what does a Mizzix Mastery sound like? I was thinking more like a but I like I like where you went with that. I think it depends on if you've overloaded the spell or not. I feel like Oh yeah, with overload, was... I, I want more like I want more kaboom noises with an overload. Yeah, I feel like mine's like the temper I targeted just a time warp. Yours is like I targeted four time warps. Like you had that pow. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta have a. Yeah, I, I would do that with a for my overload. But I think my regular one, like a Mizzix Mastery, sometimes you target like a Magma Opus. And that's pretty big. <laughs> that's true. I did that a bunch with my Gearhawks. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Yeah, okay. Right, Gearhawks probably make that sound too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're run by the Mystics Master. That's the lore, the Vorthos of it all. Of oh, course, really? you know that, obviously. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course I knew. <laughs> yeah. That's sick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty then. Well,. If, you, if not being a patron of the shows and you don't want to do that's cool you can always go to our sponsor oasis games and get the cards that you need let's keep it a buck abe everyone in the united states right now can get the coronavirus vaccine if they want it at this point that was the headline i saw today what do you do now that you can get it and you know what i can do with that information i go to oasis games and i get the cards i need so that four months from now to five months i can play a real life tournament the the time is coming there was a year, no cards were open. They will be increasing in price more so than they already have. If you're trying to get a great hand or something for a tournament slash or EDH deck, now's the time. Go to Oasis Games, use code CCMTG at checkout for your first order to get 15% off. And use code Would That Be Good to get 4% off every order. Uh, and for all of you people out there who are, you know, you just love playing Arena, you're excited about Strixhaven. But because there's not all this paper stuff going on, because we've only just opened the window of vaccination in the States, uh, but you want your six boosties, you know, that come in the pre-release kit, you can go over onto graybikinggames.com and use code CCMTG with, at checkout for 10% off your order, which can include any number of cool sleeves, you know, cosmetics that are secret layer only that maybe you didn't get otherwise. Uh, or these booster packs, FNM codes. I saw some talk of a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat avatar that was FNM code only. You can get those. They just have all sorts of things for your arena account. You really want to just jazz it up, get in there, uh, go there, use code CCMTG to check out ten percent. It's amazing stuff. We love Great Viking Games. What can we say? We got to get that new Professor Onx Planeswalker uh, avatar. Who is she? What, why is she there? Like, what, what's up with that? I don't know. It's just weird. My, uh, my is, so. <laughs> You're good. I'll just change it from there. Anyways, while I try to figure out who Professor Onx is, instead, let's talk about Historic. Uh, the, that's today's main topic for this show. And just in case you've just now jumping back into things and you're not sure why we're talking about Historic instead of Standard with Strixhaven dropping... It's because Strixhaven came with something called the Mystical Archive. So we're doing a, some little bonus cards in the actual set. Like if you were to open a pack in real life, just a normal 
like draft booster, you would get one of these cards in there. They're part of the booster drafts on Arena as well. And they decided to add all but seven of these cards to Historic. And so that's been gone over at Nauseam. So if you want to look up that sort of thing on what's not in the format, you can go online very easily to find that. But basically, they've injected about, I'd say it's about 40 non-reprint cards that are brand new to Historic. And they vary widely in power level. We have Mystic's Mastery. We have Time Warp. We have, um, I forget the name of it, but it does two damage. And you draw a card, Electrolyze. So you can tell Ooh, from very cards. strong to very weak. Uh, a lot of different power leveling cards there uh, in this sort of set. So we just thought it would kind of be good to talk about Historic. It's going to be the format for some tournaments coming up here soon. Probably SCG will do some in a couple of weeks and kind of get your footing because Abe, I know a lot of people are wanting to play Historic right now. I'm getting a lot of messages on Twitter about it and on Facebook and stuff. And I even put up a thread of some deck lists I thought were kind of reasonable day one places to start because admittedly it is kind of hard to craft these cards. The wild card system is not great on Arena. And I think this is a really great way to not only catch people up, but give them an idea on what, what we feel is a safe craft, you know? Maybe you can get, this can be the first check if you like the deck, then, you know, hey, look. Yeah, at least some seal approval on these decks. And I kind of want to talk about the deck that most people are excited about. We talked about a lot here on the show to begin with, and that's Arclight Phoenix. So, Abe, I know you haven't played that much of Stork, but I know you've been watching a lot because I see you at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark's chat all the time. <laughs> uh, what, what a great channel, by the way. God, amazing. What an Super good. Yeah, sheesh. Uh, <laughs> Abe, what do you think about the Arclight Phoenix deck? Uh, the Arclight Phoenix deck... So I actually did play a little bit of Historic today because I was like, we're going to do this episode tonight. I can't just come in with no games, right? I'm going to show everyone how good Sacrifice is. The Arclight Phoenix deck makes me have to reconsider how good Sacrifice is. And that's <laughs> saying a lot because I didn't think a lot about it. Like, I thought it was just like, oh, it'll be like fine. Like some three twos come in, we'll like race. But uh, that deck's just good. Like, like Faithless Looting and the cheap interactive spells along with like some like i played against some sprite dragon builds that felt really strong mostly because my deck didn't have many answers to sprite dragon uh but like it's probably the best deck that gets to play both face looting and brainstorm which were certainly the most the cards people were most excited about when they saw the mystical archive i feel like because everyone who's ever played legacy loves brainstorm or hates brainstorm but that's a different story uh, and everyone who has played modern in like i don't know the last like four years remembers how like cool faithless looting is and so being able to play two of those cards in the same format at the same time really exciting to some people uh it does seem like it has a real weakness with decks that have efficient threats like i know that you for a while you were like playing some blue red builds and then you moved to Grixis to play some better interaction to have like fatal push. Uh, and I think that that's kind of a, a natural reaction to the lack of something like lightning bolt where lightning bolt and modern is able to keep like a good check on most creatures, but shock is not as good at it. Uh, and also like with a lack of thing in the ice and having to turn to like crackling Drake or Sprite dragon or Stormwing entity, uh, like, it's not all there. It's it's a lot more exploitable than it was in Modern, despite having a lot of the same core. But it's still really popular and pretty strong, too. I think that, like, especially against some of these fair decks, like, forcing them to have the Graveyard Hate and having these, like, Juke plans with Crackling Drake has looked really strong to me. And in the games I played, it, uh, it, it looked like a much more functioning deck than Arclight Phoenix decks had looked previously. And, and they did, like, exist in a little bit. People, like, 
pulling the old standard deck out of the uh, like dusting it off, pulling out of the closet. But Phoenix seems to be the real deal, I think. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So I. I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, and I think it's so important to remember that the context of the format really drives the power level of these cards, you know? We have a lot of the things from the modern deck, but like you mentioned, there's a couple key cards missing. You know, Manamorphose, Faithless Looting, Thing in the Ice, that's, you know, 12 cards in your deck. They are 12 really good cards in the modern deck, and they, they change a lot, and the things we're playing against change a lot. And I think um, the deck definitely needs to figure out some good game plans for a backup threat. My, my fear of not being able to consistently kind of win the game or being run out of threats has sort of bared true in the format. Um, when you play with the Arclight deck, the problem sort of becomes more about, hey, how do I win the game once they answer my early Stormwing Entity or my Faith, like my, uh, my Phoenix coming back? Because you don't have the same level of card draw they do before you don't have the efficient answers so it puts you kind of in a bind where it's kind of hard to be a dedicated arc light phoenix deck and i think we're still struggling to figure out what exactly the sort of answer is going to be or the middle ground is going to be on that sort of thing and i think in time we'll get figured out um and whether it will be good enough or to be like a tier one deck will be have to be decided but i think for now it's like pretty hard for me to imagine the deck being lower than like a, a fine tier two choice like it's just very good at like doing its thing, seeing a lot of cards. And I could see it being built in a lot of different ways to account for what's going on there. I, I've wondered if like Team or Arclight Phoenix is a thing that you should be considering for cards like Abundant Harvest, which I think is one of the more slept on cards in Mystic Archive. Fairly so, since it's actually just a brand new spell that we never had before. And so it's kind of hard to know how good will this card be. But my kind of thought is that Arclight Phoenix does do a really good job of stomping the old decks of historic i i think things like you mentioned the sacrifice like you weren't really prepared for it historic used to be a claim the firstborn uh, format I, I would argue that claim the firstborn was like the key card in the format in a lot of ways and alongside maybe mayhem devil and the claim the firstborn part of it is just not true anymore a lot of the decks in the format actually evade claim the firstborn or it isn't as backbreaking where they just go so over the top even if you did claim them that it just doesn't matter and so I think that's a yeah, change. There was also a lot of setup involved in uh, a lot of the decks that were good in Historic before Mystical Archive. Like, you look at Auras, and it's like, okay, I'm going to, like, play my SRAM or my uh, Spirit Dancer, and then I'm going to suit it up, and we're going to fight, and we're going to be able to do this a couple times. There's not really, like, a lot of ways that you're going to get, like, pressured out of nowhere. But, you know, two or three Arclight Phoenix is coming at you on turn four is just a very different change of pace and one where like the cheap answers people play because people moved so far away from playing like shock uh if they're gonna play like cheap removal it's all fatal push basically right so like it's a very real threat to to be facing down some phoenixes and i think that for now none of the old decks have adapted to it yet and uh it, it really is like putting a check on the format that was and and it I certainly, even in just like the few hours I was playing Historic today, was going through like a build I felt was a very good build of Jund uh, for, you know, the uh, SCG qualifier, the last Historic event there was before um, before Strixhaven. And like today, I was like, I need to revisit everything entirely and like reconsider how Jund Sacrifice is built if I'm going to keep playing this. Like probably go back towards Coco, pull back in a lot of ways so that my deck can actually compete because so much has changed. 
Uh, I think there's like one other deck that is probably the other like big elephant in the room deck to talk about Mason, which is turns where I think a lot of people are really excited about time warp uh, and like how that plays out. Because if there's like two things that people really like to get drawn in for, it's like brainstorm faithless looting and it's time warp Tamiya. So like yeah, what I, are your I, experience I, with turns? I have played a lot of blue-green turns and a little bit of Bant turns in various builds, so I, I have a lot to say on this. Um, when it comes to Time Warp in the format, I, I think it's quite strong. I, th I think it's hard to deny the power level of Time Warp, and I suspect um, and suspected that like one of the first big tournaments back, we would see Time Warp kind of decks dominate. And what we actually saw from the Insight Esports Tournament was that a lot of decks that are really good against that sort of thing actually dominated, and Time Warp didn't do so well. Just that being said, I do believe there were two different Time Warp builds still in the top eight. So didn't do that well, still put up two in the top eight or top 16, somewhere along that line. So I saw it on Twitter. There was a little bit of a problem with MTG Melee, so the data was a little scuffed. So excuse me if I'm a little off there. But Time Warp decks are very strong. I personally right now really like the blue-green Time Warp decks for what I said during the Always Improving section of the podcast, where I think that sort of deck leans way harder on like, no, I'm going to set up a Nissa who shakes the world, and I'm going to take a bunch of turns, and I'm going to use Fog to come out of my Nissa to be a cheap Time Walk and kind of go from there. And I think that sort of strategy is really good right now. And I, I tweeted out that deck list, and I've actually had a bunch of people tag me and say they very easily climbed the Mythic with that. So I, I really like the blue-green's turn deck right now. I think it is a powerful deck. Uh, but I can't deny that I think once the metagame kind of shakes out and gets healthier, I think the Bant decks are going to be much more efficient um, for a couple reasons. One, I believe that Wrath of God is a pretty big get for those. It's basically a fog that doesn't have the problem of having to deal with stuff later. Uh, and so that, that's kind of nice. Yeah. But also those decks play like Hydroid Crisis and stuff, which I think give you more of a fair game plan. And they get to play Memory Lapse, which I think is a, a good bit of interaction uh, for those decks to have in the format. The blue-green deck very much is like, I mean, if you stop me enough, I'll lose, but you kind of have to really stop me. The only thing I can take away is that I saw some Bant decks, and I experimented with this as well, of having Teferi as the only win condition and not having Nyssa, and I really think that's just not playable. Your deck is very mana-intensive. Uh, I, I even tried playing some Karn Temporal Sunderings as a way to cheat on mana a little bit with my Time Walks and the uh, Teferi builds, had a little bit more Planeswalker synergy. And you just need the extra mana for Nissa, And also, Nissa just wins the game. The, the thing I found the most with the blue-green turns deck is that I would have these draws that were like an Explorer Growth Spiral into like a Tamiyo, into a Nissa, like and set up a Haze of Pollen, and then I would just start going. And my opponent didn't keep up during those early turns. It doesn't take very long for Nissa lands to kill you. And even if they don't kill you, what I found happened a lot was it was very easy for me to chain enough turns to get to the point where I ult my Nissa. And then it's like, okay, I'll give you a turn. Now I untap, and I have, like, an Iskanta probably flipped, and I have, like, 15 mana before I play this other Nissa from my hand. It's just, it's a really hard position for your opponent to ever actually win. And you end up in a lot of, like, yeah, I mean, I didn't take all the turns, but you're dead on the next. Like, you're, I, I did the thing. So I, I think those decks are very good. I, I don't know how you feel if I'm looking at them. Yeah, I think that, like, I saw a progression in watching people who were like, yeah, like, turns are going to be broken, it's going to be so good, like, we're all going to play it where they kind of realize that, like, going all in on being a combo turns deck isn't necessarily what the format needs to be about, and it exposes you a lot, since there's a lot more interaction in the format than there used to be, in part because of Mystical Archive. Like, 
getting memory lapsed on your time walk is uh on your time work was like so bad that yeah, it, that it's got to be like the worst talents yeah like you spend like you spend a ton of mana to try to be like all right now i'm pulling ahead and they just like can slam the door on you um so the card like time time warp itself has started showing up more in the mid-range decks so i think is pretty good uh because those are already just such planeswalker heavy value decks that like setting up like resolving your like one or two like time warps is pretty easy and is more than enough to put you like so far ahead like if you go time warp crisis for all but five of the mana you have right and you like draw four gain four have an eight eight in play untap with your nissa like and you, you have like a narset in play so your opponent's like kind of been fighting over that the whole game so they couldn't actually like deal with this uh it just gets messy so quick and and it, there's not many decks that can come back from that like more the more and more of the mid-range decks i'm seeing especially because of the fact that Narset's so good against the combo turns deck. There's just a lot going on that says that if you're going to take extra turns and that's your plan, like, because you need so much of another plan to deal with the hate for it, you're better off just adopting it. Mm -hmm. Like, adopting the fair game plan. Uh, so I'd, I'd probably stay away from, like, the pure turns decks for a bit. I, I think the metagame needs to adapt so that the mid-range decks start getting, like, picked apart by some other decks. Uh, we saw it a little bit with, like, Rogues um, and some of the Flash decks, I think, being good against the mid-range decks. But, you know, without more time for that to develop, especially because mid-range hasn't been a part of the format really since Uro's ban, uh, it's hard to say, like, where turns will end up, like, a month or two from now. But for now, like, being all in turns is just not, not where to be. If you, like, really want to take another turn, you should just be playing a mid-range deck that puts the card in. Like, I've seen some... Uh, some of the Sultai, like, Emergent Ultimatum decks mm -hmm. make it so they don't have to play so many bad cards to make sure they always take a turn after the Ultimatum and then, like, Ultimatum again. Uh, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, but, but lines, I wouldn't call those decks deck? turn decks. Yeah, yeah, those, those are no. more, like, combo decks. So, there's another deck that's kind of big, and this is, like, an LSV slash Jerry Thompson. I'm not sure. They both kind of built, is my understanding, but independently. It's this Jeskai slash four-color deck that uses ultimatum as a way to win the game and does what you're talking about. It's like time warp, Alaron's Epiphany thing that's going to kill you. So, you know, you take the thing and they take a couple turns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they'll discard the ultimatums and then Mizzix mastery them. Ooh. And so you'll go like turn two thrilling discovery, which is the red, white cathartic reunion from the new set, which also buys you some life. Right. And you'll discard those and then you'll time warp them or your Mizzix mastery them or your scholar of the lost troves them. And so what you do is you try to, like, set that up, and then you try to set up a Mystic Mastery, like, keep going and going, along with, like, Final Parting and stuff like that. And so it really sets up, like, sort of like the loop they had before, but now you can do it on turn four, thanks to uh, Scholar of the Lost Trove. So that I think that really adds a lot to those decks. And I think those decks are okay. I think they really have a problem with being CMC heavy, and they're just, like, very expensive cards and decks, and... They have a problem with that, and they also have a problem with having a lot of disruption affect them, and there being a lot of just graveyard hate in the format. Like, Cling to Dust actually just stomps on that deck because it's a Mizzix Mastery slash uh, Scholar of the Lost Trove, and both those target. And if they spent eight mana to overload a Mizzix Mastery, often the Cling to Dust deck has a counter spell or something, so it's yeah. not actually that big a deal. Um, and then the Cling to Dust just kind of sits there the whole game and answers them. But I, I think they're definitely cool, and I'm excited to see how they evolve. Um, are you interested in playing something like that? Because it sounds like you didn't really know about that deck. It, it admittedly did kind of die out kind of quickly, but I think there's something to that whole shell. It sounds pretty flashy and cool. 
which I like. Uh, but it, I don't like it enough to part with like my spare, you know, like eight rare wild cards or whatever I have to my name. That's so, fair. I think the listeners are going to relate with that a lot this episode. It's like, is yeah. this the deck I craft? I don't, I don't know. Now, for for decks I will craft, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to talk about rogues a bit because rogues like actually this. won the insight event, and I think I put two copies into the top eight of the event, uh, and it just looked so good. Like it looks like probably the best brainstorm deck as far as you know having like a need for cohesion. And like this, like desire to play at instant speed and finding like the right pieces at the right the right times. So it's like good with brainstorm, but it also gets to play like memory lapse and mill effects, which turn memory lapse into like counter spell, which is awesome. And it gets to play uh, like thoughtsies, drown in the lock into the story. All these things that are like just still very good. Really, really punishing, I think, for a lot of the other new decks that are enabled by. Uh, by mystical archive cards it like gets to play the most like tempo-y fun policey way of of like reining in all of the powerful things all the like big flashy powerful things i think it it punishes those really well and is also just you know it has a versatile game plan proactive reactive many angles uh memory lapse is a really messed up card (laughs) like (laughs) Yeah, memory lapse in combination with the the side sort of mill plan that the rogues bring also adds like a whole other level to that card. Where you know a lot of the times memory lapse is really strong. It buys you a lot of time, especially if your opponent's sinking a lot of mana. You know, you memory lapse in like a time warp or a core vault. That's oh, so much mana to get this card and play it better win you the game. And sometimes they will win you the game. We're start to stabilize, but with the rogues deck, it's very easy to set up like memory lapse. All right, mill you now. Now it's actually gone. And so I, I think that deck does get a lot, and I agree. I, I think it's one of the best decks in the format right now, if not maybe the best deck, to be honest. I, I think it's so efficient and so powerful, and it plays such a strong late game while having so many cheap early game cards. I mean, the builders thing right now play about five discard spells, kind of slanting slightly towards Thoughtseize over IOK, just given how some people are trying to combo in the format. And we're just seeing like the deck have like 20, 22 one-drops that are all good. Like, your worst one is Wind Robber, which is still just so efficient with all your cards. And then you have the huge refill of End of the Story, which really does kind of slam the door. And Lurus is still good. You know, we've seen it with the standard yeah. Rogue deck. It, it's really, really powerful in this sort of shell. I, I think if you're close on crafting Rogues and you have most of it from standard, I think it's a slam dunk. I, I think the deck is so good. And, well, I think it's, it's really hard for me to imagine a format where this isn't always good. And that's keeping in mind that, you know, Historic is traditionally a graveyard-heavy format. Like, things like Arclight Phoenix, we talked about this Mystic Mastery deck, right? And we would think that playing against those decks, you would have this problem uh, where, you know, you're enabling their game plan. These Arcanist decks, you're milling towards Croxa and stuff like that. And I would say, outside of the card, actually, Croxa, you can kind of answer most of it pretty easily, which is impressive, in my opinion. Yeah, I could see a world where the format kind of turns into a fight between the rogues decks and like the Rakdos decks for a bit the Rakdos like uh arcanist and pyromancer decks mm-hmm. just just because they're both the best fatal push shells right now and probably also the best discard spell shells but the like natural punishment of croxa from red black and how well i think that a single like unchecked young pyromancer could dismantle uh, could dismantle the rogues deck 
like there's there's a lot of play in that matchup, and I think we'll start to see that as the metagame evolves. Like those decks get to play. They play Luris, which is already really powerful. And because they play Luris, they get to play every good cheap card, respectively, in their colors. Which is the most exciting thing to me, probably, b- between these decks. Yeah, I, I agree. I-, I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I've already kind of, like, maybe I'm, like, maybe I'm getting too far ahead of myself here. But, like, in my Rogues deck, I already have some clean to dust in my main deck. Just as, like, another thing to do very strong on the Rogues mirrors and against the Croxid decks. It's a big boon. It's also kind of a hedge against, like, well, I am enabling some graveyard decks, and Clank Dust is not the horse card to have as, like, your 60th card or whatever. You can play way worse cards than Clank. Um, but, yeah, I think the Rogue deck is really good. Let's talk about the Arcanist deck, because, you know, you just mentioned it. It's another deck I've played a bunch of. I think it's incredibly strong. The, the Arcanist deck, uh, if you haven't played much Historic in the past, was basically the game plan was interact with one mana spell, like Thought Seeds or Fatal Push, play an Arcanist, and then do that thing again to kind of punish their draw. And the, the addition of Inquisition of Kozilek to the deck makes it so that you get that one-mana discard play just way more with Arcanist, which is great. But you also got Faithless Looting. And this deck had a real problem where, you know, we're talking about playing a bunch of discard spells like Thoughtseize, IRKs, some Fatal Pushes. These cards fall off or just aren't good in certain matchups. And having Faithless Looting to get rid of those things or turn your extra lands in the late game into real action is so great. And that in combination with Kroxa really lets you turbo charge out i've done a lot of turn four croxing without ever casting a croxa which was one of the problems you're like it's like i don't really want to spend turn two casting croxa that's not very good i need to like cheat this and make it make it so like it's triggering my fatal push or a village rights or something like that and now you don't have to do that and i think i think the the arcanist deck is very strong it's one of the better decks for sure yeah my biggest criticism of the deck is that I wish it had something other than... I mean, maybe it's just Croxa, but I wish it had, like, more of that big, you need to answer this card, or I will immediately win the game. Because Jund does that really well. Mm. Jund is is a very similar concept, like, in Modern, where I'm going to deprive you of all your resources, I'm going to attrition you down until we're both top-decking, and I'm going to have Tarmogoyf, and this is going to end the game in three turns, good luck. You don't really get that unless you have Croxa. And Croxa is so expensive and kind of restrictive that it just doesn't have the same pressure, you know? There's not there's not a thing you can really play that when the dust settles, you have this and the game is just over in two, two-ish turns. So you're not a Marauding Berserker fan, is what I'm hearing. Uh, I saw that you were playing... Uh, the Berserker, I'm not sure I'm sold on Berserker, but I'm also not sure there's something better. You know, like, I'm not sure it actually solves the problem that I'm seeing, but I'm not sure that there's, a like, something out there that could do it. I haven't really, like, done much digging on, on the card pool in Historic, mm-hmm. but it could be that maybe playing a Death Shadow variant would solve some of the problems. Uh, maybe playing... I don't know. Maybe the answer is just Berserker, and I'm I'm stubborn, but, but it feels like... If you can fix that hole, the deck gets even better than it already is because you can't just have your clock be young pyromancer as a means to an end, I feel like. I think that's like a recipe for uh, for your deck like kind of just always being medium. Yeah, I agree. Young pyromancer doesn't win games with magic anymore. In fact, even like when I'm playing that deck, I'll, I sometimes have young pyromancer draws that look really good. And I'm like, 
well, it's not really the Pyromancer. It's like my Dreadheart Arcanist is actually just cracked. <laughs> like, it's <Yeah. laughs> really doing a lot of work here. And Young Peasy's just kind of tagging along, you know. He's kind of a groupie in this situation. But, yeah, I, I think that deck does need something. Marauding Berserker, I found to be kind of good. It really fits in with the play a lot of spells and pressure excuse me, pressure your opponent very quickly. But I, I do think there needs some work done in the deck. And it might be that we see Death Shadow become kind of the default in this sort of deck. And so time will only tell on those sort of things. What about Teamer Flashy? Do you have any thoughts on this deck, the Magma Opus Gear Hulk deck? Because this is the other deck that's trying to answer all these unfair decks. Yeah, there was actually a couple of... There's like, I guess a couple of Magma Opus decks that I, I like. I think that this is the one that's seeing the most play, but I'm not sure is the best one. But there's like this, the Mizzix Mastery deck, not the, the Ultimatum one, but the one that was just like powering out treasures to mastery like whatever's in his graveyard. Uh, and Jeskai. Mm -hmm. And I personally think I like Jeskai the most, but Teamer is also pretty good. Teamer... Teamer has too many bad cards in it for me to think that it's good, and what that means is that Rewind isn't like a 20, 21 magic card that I can see myself playing in a format where people have like memory lapse and are playing a bunch of cheaper counter magic. And I also don't see Sublime Epiphany or Gear Hulk being a like reasonable top end for a deck that's trying to punish its opponent by playing entirely at instant speed. So I think that so long as those two things are still happening in the deck where people are trying to trying to play these expensive spells, but also trying to punish people for playing expensive spells. It's not very sustainable. Rogues is a lot better of a reactive like flash deck, I think because it gets to operate for a lot less mana and interact at more opportunities. And I think that the control decks are better at doing the cast big spells thing and probably better at the interacting thing too. So it's kind of caught in the middle, but the I think the the successful play patterns of the teamer deck are kind of what pave the way for like people to see rogues as being a top deck. Yeah, uh, I, to me, I, I, I have not been impressed by the way that the decks are built. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say. I, I when I started playing that deck on stream, the first thing I did was cut some magma opuses from the deck and add some cantrips. Um, and the only real thing I got from that is I think Nightpack Ambusher probably deserves some more looking into. And maybe with less, maybe with it being the top end and not the middle of your curve, probably. And that Abundant Harvest, which we mentioned earlier in the show, probably worth mentioning since it's an actual new card from Modern Horizons 2 just snuck in here early. It's green and you name non-land or land and you reveal cards so they hit one, you put the rest on the bottom. And I think it's actually a very strong cantrip after playing it. And it, the thing I kind of thought about with this card is how often, Abe, have you just been like, any spell and I win? I just need something, Right. So it's like a lot when you play magic. Same for lands. And yeah. I think Abundant Harvest has some role to play in there where your deck kind of maybe is late, like needs a lot of lands to function, but you also need to hit your big spells. And I think the Teamer Flash deck is a good example of that where I want to always curve out. So early game, I want to hit land. So I'm going to, you know, I'm trying to play Gear Hulk on turn five. So we name land, but in the late game, I really need to pay off having all these lands. So I think Abundant Harvest is going to be an all-star in Historic and possibly even see modern play i'm excited to see what it does in that sort of context especially in like titan decks um but shifting away from that because there's not really much more to say i agree with you you mentioned jeskai and the magma opus what do you think about jeskai control i think 
I mean, I'm a little biased because I just love Jeskai control decks. And I specifically love decks with Lightning Helix. But I think I like this deck a lot because it has Lightning Helix. I think that that card is filling... It is like... It's making a lot of space for a deck like this to win, if that makes sense. Like, if not for Lightning Helix... So it's, a, it's a card that, like, generates... It does things that Lightning Strike doesn't for a reactive deck, right? Like, you can play a bunch of Abrades because you know that you're never going to point it at someone's face. Or you can play Lightning Strike because you might need to kill a Planeswalker. But Lightning Helix lets you beat the mid-range creature decks where they're kind of just hoping to chip you down over a couple of turns with one threat at a time because you get the most valuable resource for a control deck, which is time out of, out of the three life, while also interacting at an efficient rate. And that matters so, so much that it excites me. Like, I think that Lightning Helix is just so much more a defensive card than an aggressive card, which is why I think that the successful Lightning Helix decks we've seen have been these Jeskai decks and not, like, the Boros Burn decks and whatever. I think those look pretty bad, actually. Um, but, like, I think that putting good just good interactive spells into the colors and then using the magma opus finisher with gear hulk is a winning strategy and i think that this deck it's kind of like teamers caught in the middle of what rogues wants to be and what jeskai is and i think that this deck being what jeskai is is a lot better than what team is doing that's fair yeah i definitely think that one of the biggest problems i had with the blue white deck before and we kind of learned this when helping ally test the pt was winning the game was kind of a problem like, and I really value winning my games on Magic. I know it's something that a lot of people are cool to figure it out on the fly, but I like a way to win. I like to know what I'm working towards. And I think Magma Opus Gear Hulk is a very winning line. It is very strong and very swingy. And Magma Opus lets you kind of do it early too, which is a little busto at times. So I, I like that sort of uh, idea for a control deck. And I think Blue White Control is basically dead. I, I just don't think that sort of deck is real. But I think maybe Jeskai has a chance. You have, you have to prove a lot in Historic to me to be a control deck and be playable. But this deck does have a lot of tools, like you mentioned. So I'm kind of more curious to talk about Boros, though. Boros Burn. You kind of said in passing there you're not really impressed with Boros. You uh, you saw the Helixes in there. You're not happy about it. The Lumamancer. So you're, you're a Boros denier, not a truther? Yeah, I'm a denier on this one. I think that... I think that Luminancer is just... I've seen it cast so many times and seen it be bad so many times. Like, it's not... It doesn't feel like Monster is so spear to me. It doesn't feel, feel like a Goblin Guide to me when I, like, see it cast in Historic. And I think that a lot of times people are, like, stretching their mana to be able to cast this card on turn one and then are also like, oh, I'll also support Luris and these, like, other white spells. When I'm just not certain it makes your deck any better. And I'm not sure that these like really low to the ground burn style decks are even good in historic. Is kind of like how I feel about it. It's not like in uh, in modern where you have Lava Spike as like a proactive, I can cast this before combat good burn spell to reduce the opponent's life total. There's just not a lot of those. And, and I think that it shows when you play against or play with these Boros decks, at least in what I've seen and what I've experienced. Yeah, I, I think the Boros decks are lacking a little. I also think there's some 
like maybe not resiliency, but some like real deck building inertia. Where people are kind of like, ah, we figured it out. We had these cards and Luris and maybe a sideboard card and we call it a day. And I, and I think things like Flame of Keld need to be looked at. I think if you're going to try to like burst them down with spells, Flame of Keld is a card that works really well with that strategy and really well with Luris. I, I tried playing some Flame of Keld Luris and it was a little bit impressive just how strong that sort of engine can be at times. So I think we need to really look at the burn decks Think about the cards we have and how we're playing with them. And remember that, like, sure, Flamakeld wasn't maybe good before, but we have this other one drop. And if we're trying to enable that, we need to have a lot of spells, even if it does Nambo by not being a red thing for the third chapter. So, yeah, I might actually be more interested in like Flame of Keld, uh, like Mono Red Arclight Phoenix. That might be a more interesting deck to me. Yeah, that, that seems kind of strong too. Th Thermal Alchemist is another card that I've always been really high on in the burn decks. I have not seen anyone else be high on basically ever. But I'm pretty sure that card is actually good in Historic, and someday it's going to shine through. It, it, Thermal I remember is really good. I remember a while ago you were working on the red deck for Historic, and specifically like Mono Red Burn. Mm -hmm. uh, you like post some list on Twitter, and I have since played whatever variation of that in the Historic metagame shakeup events on Arena every time. And they always feel like they're actually close. I like forget how good the other decks in the format are, and I'm like, man, this deck feels better than like a lot of the decks I'm playing against, despite all of these cards being banned. And uh, I, I think that you know, there's something there in that shell. It just needs work. And I'm personally not convinced that white's the answer. But I think that uh, if you're gonna play a deck with so many burn things and so much pr like trying to be prowessy, that it might be worth exploring to pay Phoenix. Is yeah. how is what I think about it. Yeah, by that I tried playing Mono Red Phoenix, like very much the prowess deck uh, on day one. I think my only white spell was Lumamancer. I just you know had some pathways and some foundries, and uh, it it was pretty good. It was close. It wasn't quite there, but I, I think that could be like a me thing or also a metagame thing. It's something I keep my eye out on for the future. Speaking of the future, I kind of want to look back to the past real quick. We saw Jeff uh, Hoogland put on a tournament this last week in the Hooglandia. And it was won by Gruel, the classic, the the old guard, if you would. What do you think about the Gruel deck in the metagame? Because how I looked at it, it didn't get anything except Chaos Warp, really. I mean, there's not many Gruel cards being added to those decks. Yeah, I think that there's, like, I think that Gruel and the Selesnia company deck both are benefiting from these metagame factors where things are really in a shift where mid range is coming back and sacrifice is kind of getting bullied out because sacrifice used to just maul the other creature decks because it just had an engine and also was outstatting things. And there's a lot more decks where you can punish them by just having, you don't always have to have the Ember cleave. You can have just one of your regular aggressive draws and that will race a Phoenix player who's trying to capitalize on the window of opportunity and the setup of other decks. Like, I think that the metagame right now is healthiest for Llanowar Elf that it's been in a while. Like, I don't know if Elves got... I, I, elves might actually be pretty good. But you don't need to be playing Elves and be, like, hyper-elfed up mm -hmm. to, uh, to capitalize on just starting your curve on one, playing some well-statted creatures, and, and getting in and racing. Because I think that there's not mayhem devils and cats and ovens preventing combat everywhere. Combat is like very allowed in this format because you kind of need it 
if you're going to beat a deck that's going to try to take all the turns, you need to be able to apply the pressure and disrupt either through speed and some amount of reach or through uh, through like the disruptive elements of the of the Selesnya deck. So I think it's more a thing where the metagame took a step backwards to where those decks were good and where the format is acting in a way where just playing good things on rate and forcing the opponent to have the answers is a winning strategy more than like these decks got anything new, which is kind of awesome. Like, I think that that's probably the sickest thing for Mystical Archive, giving decks nothing and then seeing them like go on to win tournaments. I know that I thought Selesnya was probably one of the best performing decks on win rate outside of Rogues, where it put either two, it was two in like the top 16, definitely at least one in the top eight. And that was mostly carried by PV's card, uh, Elite Spellbinder. It felt like it was the biggest new addition. It was just another disruptive creature that was actually, like, aggressive. Uh, and, I don't know, it was just kind of cool to see the format change so much. To see, like, creatures doing battle <laughs> as, as the way that people were winning. Um, but yeah, so, PV's new card, Elite Spellbinder being probably the only new addition to Selesnya, and that just additional disruptive element, making it so that, you know, these decks that are either putting creatures in play and attacking you to death, either in the air with some disruption or, you know, pounding through with Embercleave uh, and a little bit of speed attached there with, like, the better Burning Tree draws and, like, Voltaic Brawlers and stuff. It's just kind of cool to see, like, creature combat take over again and, and i think that's where the format's kind of landing at as as you don't have all of the time in the world to play your your oven play your trail of crumbs play your uh cauldron familiar and then start grinding people out of the game the format's just a lot different now people are actually putting pressure on each other in a way that wasn't happening before and, and i think that led more to gruel's success in that tournament and celestia's success in the insight tournament than you know, any of the new cards really did. Yeah, I'm very excited by the green-white deck. I think it looks very good. I think Elite Spellbinder does a lot for those decks, uh, not only at throwing people off, but also just making cards not work as well. Like, the fact that Elite Spellbinder removes it from the hand is weirdly punishing for, like, a looting and brainstorm deck. I've had that come up a good bit. And just the, the effect itself makes a key card cost two more. It's just really really good and i'm excited to play that deck it's one of the few decks i actually haven't got my hands on yet for historic but i agree with your assessment and i, I think i think it could be a real player in the format especially if things lean more towards the fair side of things i think the green white decks often get a bad rap and this one has a lot of really good hate bears now and a lot of really good interactive cards so i'm excited to see it play yeah uh i i didn't even think about the whole faithless looting thing but if someone elite spellbinder my croxa in the pyromancer deck i would be depressed it would be bad <laughs> like i don't want that card to cause four to cast the first time i barely want to cast it the first time in the first place that has got to be a nightmare it is a nightmare i had it happen and it's not good <laughs> but that's gonna do it for today for our historic talk abe if you had to go out and play a deck right now in historic for your life what deck are you playing i had to play for my life your life i would play rogues i think rogues is just the best of the decks that are punishing some of the slower things going on right now. It's just, it's just the best flash deck plays all of the cheapest interactive spells that are good and 
has a really good game plan. I, I think that'd have to be it for me. How about you, Mason? You know, I, I expect a lot of people to say rogue, so I'm coming up with my four cracks of Rakdos deck for my <laughs> life, and I'll miss you, you know, I'll miss you, but no, I, I think Rakdos or Rogues is kind of where I'm at as, like, two of the best decks, and I think especially if you're trying to climb ladder, and if you're not going to play something super linear, which can be kind of hard right now with these sort of decks being popular, these decks are the best ones that are able to be proactive and answer what the opponent's doing, and I, I think they're real players, and the Rakdos deck is probably really easy to craft, too, if you're looking for stuff. Just, you know, four lootings and a couple IOKs. Not even, you don't even play four of them. It's fine. It's cool. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. It was a lot of fun talking about Historic with you, Abe. If someone wanted to find you and reach out, where would they go? Uh, they go to twitter.com slash more nothings or twitch.tv slash more nothings to find me. Awesome. If you want to find me, go to twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. And you can go to twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And you can find me each and every week on Thursdays on Card Kingdom. This week I'm talking about five decks to help you get to Mythic. So if you're looking for historic decks, there's going to be a bunch of deck lists there. And if always, of course, you can go to the Patreon where we share everything we're doing and that sort of thing. I'm dumping a bunch of deck lists tonight. So if you're looking to get those sort of things, you can find them there. Thank you all so much for hanging out for this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. And we'll see you all next week.